Hey, welcome to Life 2.0 Podcast. I'm John St. Augustine. Time to go up the down staircase in the friggin' outdoor. Make sense out of the senseless, if at all possible. Find the obvious, buried in the absurd. Hold on to your lug nuts. Time for an overall. day to you. Glad to have you joining me from anywhere and everywhere around planet Earth. Once again, without technology, I'm sitting in a room talking to myself. Back in the day, they'd lock you up for that. Probably still would. Anyway, this is a fascinating thing to me. Um, I think being uh, in the Life 2.0 mode has me always thinking about how cool things are. You know, when I was a kid on a Saturday morning, I thought it was the coolest thing in the world to sneak down before anybody else was awake into our basement, which is like, you know, three months out of the year was a haunted house. So you're kind of taking a risk there, but I had all the cool stuff down there. I had this um, thing that made monsters and bugs and stuff. You'd put like this goop in there and you heat it up. No problem with letting a nine-year-old do that. I never ate him. So that's a good thing. But uh, yeah, Saturday morning was always the, the cool thing for me. There was always stuff you never got to during the week. And, you know, I had a chance to do that Saturday mornings. And now I don't make the gobbledygook spiders anymore. I turn on a microphone and it's just as cool to me, which is the way it should be. It's been an interesting week. I think I start every show with that because every week to me has got something going on that makes me go, wow, isn't that really interesting? And the biggest aha interesting thing for me this week is that I'm still recovering from the Randy Hundley book launch last Sunday. So I must have a little bit of a bug going on or something because it is a little unusual for me to be dragging backside this long during the week. Now, it's one thing energetically to write a book. I mean, that in itself is a major energy drain in a good way, but you're pulling from the universe to create something from nothing. And I really didn't give it the uh, respect, I think is the word that I used to uh, when I was writing when I was younger, because I could just, it's like running a jackhammer all day. You just do it. Now I'm much more respectful of the process because it takes more out of me to get this stuff done. The Hundley book is a little bit of a one-off. There was this deep inner drive to get this done for reasons I may not ever know in a certain amount of time. Uh, I think certainly uh, Randy's age has something to do with it. He's now 81, but his mom just celebrated her 101st birthday, so he could be around for a while. Uh, But there was just something urging this on. and For me, when I get that inner nudge, that push, I try to adjust my rudder as best that I can, but you can only write so much, quite frankly, right? You can only go so far during the day. And uh, during this whole process, uh, it's the first time I ever experienced carpal tunnel. So that's a good combo, right? You want to write a book and it's in a somewhat of a defined space. Then carpal tunnel comes along. I'll never forget it was last October, early October. I was sitting up early one morning having coffee and I picked up the coffee mug and it wouldn't pick up. I thought, wait, what is this? and uh, carpal tunnel syndrome. So I worked my way through that and out of it with splints and stuff. And I was considering surgery. And I thought the last thing I need to do is have surgery on my wrists while I'm trying to write a book. I don't think that would have been uh, a good idea. So I worked through it. But the uh, there was just all this stuff going on around the book itself. And the big part of it was obviously mental. Uh, then came emotional. Then came the physical part. So sitting down to physically write a book and hit the keys and do all that kind of stuff, that, that's just something like you do. Uh, after a while, it's like, I guess, suppose like playing a piano, you do it so much that it becomes sort of on rote command that you kind of know where things are at. I'm really glad 
that I took typing in high school. Let's put it that way. Uh, it's, it's funny how I look back at some of this stuff and it was already put in place years ago so I could use it years later. And typing is a big part of it. When I took typing class in high school, I was the only guy in the room. Smart fella, if you ask me. But <laughs> I took it two years. I got A's both years, and who knew that I'd ever actually need that? Who knew anybody would have a computer? Who knew what a keyboard was except something you plug in and played music on? That was a keyboard. Now it's just sitting in front of us all the time. So many changes, but actually the same words. I find that stuff fascinating. Like, who, whose idea was it that spam, this highly revered pork shoulder packed in gelatin, which is a, a delicacy in Hawaii, that somehow that's bad in old email did you i asked just yesterday i was taping with candace jordan and if you get a chance you should listen to her podcast candid candace the podcast it's also on podbean and i produced the show for her and i sit in and kind of co-host here and there to kind of keep things moving along uh, but uh, i had to have our guest the renowned chef art smith uh, check his spam box and i said to him art what do you think about that spam thing and he's like not much <laughs> so that's from chef art smith but all this stuff kind of gets into a big pile for me. But the physical part of writing a book, kind of somewhat easy compared to the mental and the emotional pieces. And I have to say that last Sunday, I, I was unexpectedly emotional around all this. I don't think it was the book process itself, because that doesn't usually happen. But the subject matter was very, very close to me, obviously. Growing up as a kid in Chicago, there's a backstory that I've mentioned on the show many times. It's in the book in the afterward about you know being a kid growing up in Chicago and my friend Gary Prang and I, who was at the event, it was fantastic to have him there. The oldest friend that I have, this is going back to the early 60s, uh, he was there with his wife, and Barb, and, um, and, and, and reliving all that to some degree while I was writing it had an effect on me. So when I got in front of the, the crowd, and I, and, I, and I mentioned, you know, I rarely, I've spoken all over the world, a couple of TED Talks, being on stage, no big deal to me. Uh, it's, it's just something I've had a chance and opportunity to do. It's something I was given to do, so I do it. But this room was different. There I am at La Villa Bank, which is conveniently located at 3638 North Pulaski in Chicago. And my hat's off to Chris and her staff for once again doing an incredible job. But I'm standing in front of the crowd, and I could feel it rising up in me. And I had practiced about what I thought I would say for at least a week or two before the event. And it's not a whole full-blown speech, but there were just parts I knew I was going to get caught. And I got caught anyway. And when I started talking about my Uncle Rich, who's more like a, a brother to me than an uncle, you know, going to Vietnam, two tours, and then coming back in April of 1969 under so much civil unrest in this country and taking me to my first Cubs game with my dad in the box seats at Wrigley that cost a whopping $3 and 25 cents or three dollars and 50 cents uh he's the guy that got me my first catcher's gear and i tied that a bit right back into randy getting his first catcher's mitt from his dad and the connection that's made you know and the memories that are made of those things and it really caught me the fact that rich is is back from vietnam was a huge thing for our family because many didn't come home he took me to my first baseball game got my first real haircut from the guy he took me to jimmy's barbershop and said cut it all off and I've basically been wearing my hair the same way ever since because I don't have a lot of hair anyway. But all those things, and there he was sitting in the, in the audience. You know, the Sarge is right there. And so that really caught me. And, and then I had friends that were there, that people that I used to wait on the corner for autographs with, and they were there. 
And then there were campers there. These were the folks that had been in Randy's baseball camp for, you know, 30 plus years. And I played in the camp. So there was a little connection there and a smattering of family and friends and 30 members of Randy's family was there in the first three, you know, rows of the tables. And I'm looking at all this, how it just came together. And it was only nine and a half, 10 months ago that Randy and I had breakfast and said, okay, let's, let's, let's see what we got here. So for all that to happen in such a condensed period of time on emotional level was, was pretty intense. You know, I'm sitting here in the studio this morning, the same place where I write, it's very multi-purpose in here. Um, and thinking of during the winter, while it's snowing like hell outside, writing a book about baseball and opening day. And it gave me a little bit of an incentive, like, well, you know, opening day is like the harbinger of things to come. It's when the boys of summer get a chance to do their thing again, where, where all is made new, where, you know, like in the movie Field of Dreams, that, you know, like that America has rolled on, but baseball has marked the time. So it is America's pastime, and it's something that's been so ingrained in my life and so many people's lives that were there at the book launch that day. So what I wasn't prepared for was the mental part afterwards. Right, So most books that I work on, and this is the ninth book, three of my own, six for other people. Most books that I work on, I, there's no book launch. I just finish the project and I take a few days to decompress and there's no real time limit, quite frankly. I have a couple books I've been working on for a year, a little bit over a year, and then, you know, in piecemeal. So it's a very different process. But when this all kind of came to a head at that launch, it really stuck me. Like that we really got the thing done. Now there's, I got to be in full disclosure here. And I've talked about this before. There's a few typos in this edition. They've been cleaned up. They will continue to be cleaned up uh, this week as it goes out to the uh, to the masses in September. But in order to get this done, we had to live with certain errors. So the book has some runs, has some hits, and it has a few errors in it. But the feedback I've already gotten in just this past week is it's a quick, easy read, which it's supposed to be. I don't want you to have to labor over a book, you know, 388 pages later, get to the point. I like to write books the way that I like to read, which is uh, enjoyable and quick and easy to digest. And so the feedback is it's a great read and it's an easy read and it's inspiring. And so those three words to me, those are all wins. But the mental part, the fog of all that, carry, it carried over for more than a few days. And it's interesting how it got tied into something else. So Last week, after the book stuff was wrapped up, basically, and I was done putting any changes in or make, I mean, I spent, I don't know how much time on the guest list and sending stuff back and forth and all the stuff that goes into using a computer. I have a 12-year-old, maybe 13 at this point, trusty, dusty Dell. It's had one engine change. It's a 17-inch model. It works for me because I have pretty good-sized mitts to work with here, and I need room. And so for me, knocking it off on a little 13 or 14 or 15 inch would be really crowded and tough. So this is the machine that I enjoy working on and have been working on. All the stuff that I do, radio and editing and, and books, and it all happens right on the trusty, dusty Dell. And I work to keep it, you know, I take care of it. When it's really hot out, I put it back in the house. I take the battery out and do things and I clean it up. And, you know, it's like maintenance on a vehicle for me. It's the same thing. If I had a 69 Impala, I'd be doing the same thing. I don't have a 69 Impala, but if I did, I'd be taking care of it like that. So I'm very respectful of this machine that helps me do everything that I do. It started to slow down. Oddly enough, right when I finished up the stuff with the Hunley event, that last Monday I came in, or I'm sorry, it was, last, uh, it was a week ago today, right when I was working on last week's podcast, and it was really slow and taking time to load. I'm like, okay, what's going on here? You give it up the ghost on me? 
at least the book's done and it's in an external hard drive and other people have it. So if the computer took a shit, at least I know we're covered. But this went back and forth. It went really slow and it was taking forever to load and wasn't connecting right. And I thought, uh oh, I got to call my guy. So I have a guy named uh, Zach who uh, can remotely work on my computer. And, you know, he's, it's, it's like having a really good dentist or an accountant or somebody in the background that you can always just pick it up the phone or send an email and say, okay, let's do this. So I set up an appointment for last Monday at 6 a.m. Because I'm up anyway, might as well work. And Zach got on and we went back and forth and he goes, oh, he said, you, uh, your memory is slowing this down. And I, I said, excuse me, because I thought the whole idea was to get as much storage out of the way. I mean, I got files of stuff over the years that I thought, oh, I'll get to that at some point, And I never use it again. I had 300 episodes of the bridge radio show that I did between Chicago and Beijing, China, two years ago almost now. And uh, it was actually two years in September that we did that. And, you know, 300 episodes takes up a little bit of room. So I was jettisoning stuff I didn't need in preparation for this meeting with Zach. And I told him that, that I had done all that. And he says, you know, it's kind of a common misconception that it's all about the storage, that you're storing too much stuff. He said, the truth is, is that um, memory, you're running out of memory. So you're not able to run this at peak performance. So when the system is low on memory, it swaps out a bit of the RAM memory from an idle program, uh, freeing up room on the hard drive for other programs to run. And as a result of all that, through uh, loads of uh, hard disk reading and writing takes place, slows your computer down. I just read that off of Popular Mechanics, by the way, because I'm not smart enough to remember all that. But he, he was explaining to me that it really isn't storage, which it shouldn't have a bunch of stuff on there you don't need anyway, but it's the memory. He goes, so what we're going to do is we're going to give you more memory. Oh, how are we going to do that? He says, well, you can do it because you're a mechanical guy, and here's a, all you do is click this, open up the back, do this, this. So now at some point during this coming week, I'm going to be doing surgery on my Dell and hope that Christ it works out. But the bottom line was this whole thing about memory was stuck in my head all week about the memory slowing things down. And, you know, I'm a big proponent of saying, you know, when you get to the point where you have more yesterdays than tomorrows, as I do, and many people listening do, even though there's no guarantee and, you know, it, it can go either way at any point, that the things we focus on can slow us down a bit. So I have more memories than I have future visions at this point. You know, I mean, you got so many days behind you and the stuff that I've done and the places I've been and the people I've met and the experience I've had, all that goes into a memory storage for me. I, I get a kick out of Throwback Thursday. I do it on Facebook. And a couple things I, you know, the reason I do that is because it reminds me of times that I had forgotten to some greater or less degree. And I put up a picture and I'll look at something and go, oh, I remember the memory around all that. And I don't put up shitty memories. I put up good memories. So I don't know if focusing on memories in our lives can slow us down or not because I'm kind of playing with that after Zach brought this whole thing up. But it just jumped out at me. You need to free up your memory. We need to put more memory storage in there so things run smoother. And I started to think about the concept of Pichko. And Pichko is an Ojibwa term that means what you focus on keeps expanding. And whether that's good or bad, that's up to you. And because of that, you start to use up space in your brain. So focusing on memories that aren't good, quite frankly, and life is full of those, can slow us down because we're actually reliving 
the memory over and over again, just like I did last Sunday when I'm standing in front of this room full of people at the age of 64 feeling like I was 10. That was the memory that was really guiding everything last Sunday. So, of course, the way I end up looking at the world takes me down these long, dusty highways in my mind, and it, it gets me thinking about that kind of stuff. And it doesn't take much. You know, I, these experiences I've had, I tend to just move off to the left and go, well, what about this? What about this going on over here? And using Randy's book launch as another example, it's like I could have never imagined what was going to take place when we first sat down and said, let's try this book concept. And the end result of that, you know, was just about 200 people in a room, some of waiting in line for hours to get him to sign the book Iron Man. I, I was just sitting off the corner going, look at this, look at this, could have never predicted it. And the hundreds of hours that went in between let's have lunch and talk about the book and all the time spent writing and all the time spent revisioning, and all the time spent laying out, all the stuff that goes into that in a very condensed amount of time. And there I'm sitting there on last Sunday going, this is unbelievable. And I like that there are still things in life that I feel like, wow, this is freaking unbelievable. Because when you've been around a while, you tend not to see much new things, right? They're just kind of life is what it is. And that's why I don't get upset about the news. Everybody's got their undies in the bundle about something, right? We're always on the brink of something. But I've been around long enough to go, I've seen this before. Just different characters and playing the same role. And if you're a student of history like I am, it even evens it out more. That this stuff's been going on. It doesn't, so I don't. I tend not to let that. It's very rare that something really. I go, whoa, what the hell was that? When if there's some news item, rest of it, not so much. Don't care because it saps my memory. It saps my energy. I don't have time for it. I just don't have the time for it. But what I do have time for is moving forward. How this book is affecting people already, and it's not even for sale yet. That'll happen in a couple of weeks. But to see all these people also revert to be 10, 11, 12 years old as Randy sat there in this giant chair signing books and talking with people and taking pictures, I see how important baseball is, at least for me and what I observed that day. The game is one thing. The game itself has not changed. And you throw the ball 60 feet, 6 inches from the pitcher's mound to home plate and you got the, the bats the same. And So the game itself hasn't changed much. The bases are a little bit bigger. They got a time clock. I get that. But the basics of the game are the same. Nine innings and the whole drill. The people that play the game, the men that play now, very different than Randy's time. Back then, they didn't even swim because they thought it would probably throw off your game. Now, these guys are all built like linebackers. So some of that stuff has changed. But that ability, and I don't know if football does this as much, but baseball for sure, to feel like a kid again, like I do on Saturday mornings, you know? When I do this show, I'm, again, I'm not making the gobbledygook spiders and bugs and centipedes, but Saturday mornings is the sweet spot for me. It's when I get up and go, wow, wow, what a week. Wow, look what I get a chance to do. Wow, how cool is this? And, and I have to dig sometimes to find those wows, but it's worth it every single time because it offsets all the bullshit that goes on, the yin and yang of things. And, and it's to me, it's just the little things stuck besides the big things that we often miss. You know, it's like you're looking at through the keyhole but missing the door. And life is all about opening doors and making choices and taking chances. And so when I look back on my life and I think I could have never predicted I would not only write a book of my own, but 
for anybody else? Are you kidding me? How, how would that even happen? But here it is, and it's part of my, my deck, as they say. It's part of my repertoire, something I get a chance to do. And, uh, uh, you know, predictably, I've already had people say, well, what's your next, next book? My next book is I'm taking a break. I do this after every time I finish something. It's like, I got to stop. My brain has to rest. Something over here needs to take a little bit of a break. And it's just one of those things that I'm still trying to get used to. I often feel like a bit of a marionette puppet being you know, pulled by unseen strings. Okay, now we're going to write a book about a woman who lived through the Holocaust under Hitler, Trudy Groning. Okay, now we're going to write a book about a guy who had a real rough childhood growing up, has become one of the most successful auctioneers in the country, raising millions for children uh, who have disabilities, Chad Coe. Uh, okay, uh, you're going to meet this woman who lives in Washington, D.C. She has zero background in journalism. She works for the government. She has an idea for a book, and she's never done it, and neither of you. And that was the first thing I did with Melina Crawford, A Taste of Honey. It took a year and a half. So I look at these things that have come to me and say yes to some and no to others, and that's what choices and chance is all about. The chances are they're going to show up and choices I get to make moving forward, whether I do it or not. There's been a lot I've turned down. There's a few books I'm like, there was one guy in Vegas, he had like the whole dirt on the mob and he's going to pay me six figures. I'm like, I won't live to see it. No, thanks. So they don't all come floating in on gossamer wings and this is the best thing in the world. And that along with creating the audiobook of Iron Man, uh, which is just about finished and we'll produce that and get it out too. Uh, all these things are, are were beyond my scope when I was younger. And I think that's the presentation of life. That is the, that which is underneath, which is going on in our lives. That we only see it at a surface. And yet there's so many levels and depths that can be explored. And when you do that, you'd be amazed at the things that you, know, you get a chance to be involved in. Technically, you know, I'm a fair writer. And I have people say, think that I'm the best writer they've ever read. Well, I'm not going to tell them no. But I also know what it takes to get me there. And the effort it takes to get me there. Some of it's easy, but most of it's kind of like chopping wood a little bit. So all in this comes back to this memory thing to me. If I work out of my memory uh, of not being this person that I am now, where I do all these things and I get a chance to do talks and even radio, for God's sakes, I had no thought of ever consciously going to radio when I was a kid. I have no memory of that. We had the radio on in our house because we only had four channels on TV. The radio was on all the time. So was there something subliminally that was pushed into my head? I don't know. But I do know that one thing was important to me, that, that I used what I was given. And I didn't even know what I was given until I started to use it. It's kind of like the catch-22. You know, it's like Irma Bombeck says, when I stand before God at the end of my life, I want to say I used everything you gave me. And so I tend to stay in motion a lot because I, don't, I want to use it up. I don't want to let it run out before I'm done and say, well, I got nothing else to do. I want to use it up. And that drives me. But I never know what's gonna, what I get to apply it to. I have no idea what the next book project is. Uh, I got a couple of fiction books I've been working on. And I think I, need to, I think I need to get locked onto one of those and get that finished in the way that I feel good about it. And of course, every time I start working on that, something else floats along. I got to take care of it. But my memory serves me in a way that if I focus on those things that have done before, every single book that comes along my way, every idea, every thought, I think, how the hell am I going to do this? And that's when I remember that the how of anything, 
is not important as the why of everything. When you know the why, the how tends to take care of itself. But sometimes, and I'm guilty of this every now and again when a project comes in, how am I going to pull this off? How is that going to happen? That's not the right question. Why am I doing this? Why am I involved? You know, what's the why in it? When you have the why, the how shows up. So the why with the Hunley book was a two-foot putt. Come on. Here's why this needs to be done. We were having breakfast, and he asked me, and he's your friend, and look at his life. And of course, why would I not do this? How all that's going to lay itself out? No clue. No clue. But in the end, as in the beginning, here we are. Once again, a completed project. So just a reminder today, as I get ready to wrap this up, these were the two things that were really prevalent this past week. You know, why is more important than how, as I just said a second ago, and I'm going to repeat it back to back. It's also a reminder to me as well. I have it actually on my little notepad here. Why is always more important than how. And the other thing is about memory. How do we free up our memories so we can do the things, so we can hear the why, so we can get about our business. And to me, and for me, that's staying out of all the the crap that clogs up the memory. All that stuff that doesn't need to be in there anymore, that slows it down. And letting go of stuff that you don't need to hang on to anymore. I know people holding grudges against people that are dead. So life in so many ways is a constant game of connected dots and letting go. And co- It's like being on a trapeze, which I've never done. I used to want to do it when I was younger. I thought, it's not going to happen now. My shoulders would come out of the sockets. We don't need that. But it's like a trapeze artist, right? So you're up, and hopefully, even if you have a net, you're still way above this net. And you got to go from one bar to the next. And there's that spot in the middle there where you're letting go of where you were at swinging back and forth on something and then you're waiting for that other bar to come and that that leap in between the two that to me is where everything happens and if you miss it and you hit the net you get back up and you start over again but that little space between one bar and the, the one trapeze and the next one that comes along that little space of faith in the middle that's where it matters most but you can't get to that space until you let go of the first trapeze in order to catch the second one And to me, that's so much the way life is, swinging back and forth on stuff. I have friends of mine that are working on projects for years because they know it's the thing they're supposed to do. They know the why. The how just keeps evolving. Life is just a zero-sum game. It's a blank slate. Every day you get up, you can make choices and chances that change your life 180 degrees. Most people don't. We kind of get in those ruts, get stuck in there, and just keep plowing forward. And in some way, shape, or form, there's nothing wrong with that. Stability is a good thing. But then there's that other part where you're getting called. It's like, you got to do this. Now, I don't know if everybody hears that. I do. It's like, John, you got to write this book with Randy. It's just got to happen. Now's the time. All these years later, everything underneath is the foundation for you to able to do that, for you to put this in place. It's been put in place for decades. Now it's time to say yes or no. And it was a yes, a resounding yes. So whatever you're working on in your life, realize you know whatever you're seeking is seeking you. That's the trapeze. Whatever you're looking for out there is already looking for you in here. It's a matter of closing that gap and reaching out to that trapeze and going to the next thing. And sometimes in order to reach that trapeze, you've got to let go of the memories that don't serve you anymore. That's just the bottom line. So at some point this week, hopefully I'll be back next week because at some point this week i got to put the new memory in my computer even though it's sped up a little bit. I think he did a little woo-woo on it, but um, 
I'm going to do a little surgery on the trusty dusty Dell. If it's successful and the patient lives, I'll be back next Saturday morning with the Life 2.0 podcast. Until next time, be well, safe travels, keep the faith.